Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame podcast series featuring the best of the best movies of all time. Yes, that's right. We're going through the history of film and discussing the elite cinema from all generations. Tune in each week as we discuss, break down, and cheer on our inductees. My name is Matt Levy, and we are joined by Mark Rossi. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, man. Uh, always glad to be back with you and ready to dive into another good one. Yeah, this is something that I look forward to each week, being that we're both passionate film and movie lovers to, to talk about some of these movies that we've watched countless times and to just spit out all of our love and, and joy for these films and maybe ridicule them a little bit is going to be a, is, is always fun. Oh, definitely. And it, it couldn't be a more apt description to talk about seeing a movie countless times than the movie we're going to be covering today. Absolutely. Today's movie that we chose, we actually bumped up a few weeks because it seems relevant. It seems like the right times, the right time of the year. And we said, what better time? And this is the right episode to stay. Let's jump in with something massive. This is a titan of a movie. And it changed the landscape of filmmaking as they knew it at the time. So let's get right to it. Star Wars, A New Hope, 1977. The space opera, science fiction, action adventure, whatever words you want to use to describe it. Mark, what do you think of Star Wars, A New Hope? It was a formative movie for me as a movie fan, a movie watcher. I saw it probably a little bit later than a lot of kids did. I saw it when I was around like 10. So there were already kids I know in my grade that had been dressing up as like Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia as, you know, as their Halloween costume a couple years before I saw it. I was like, maybe I'm supposed to watch this. And my parents were like, sure, we'll watch it. It's fine. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, this is going to be something that I'm going to remember for a while. Yeah, it's funny. I think you and me are maybe the same age or within, within a few months, a year of each other. And I got to Star Wars probably around the same time as you. I was probably 10, 12, 13, in that range. It's not, I don't remember the exact day or time where I was, but I know... A couple times my family would have it on to be on TNT or TBS or one of those movie channels. And I would jump in. I probably watched it from the middle the first time, then maybe a little bit past the intro, then a little bit towards the end. And then eventually, probably, it wasn't until probably I was 13, 14, till I saw it in its entirety. But this is one of those movies that you, it just, it, this changed movie making. And if you loved Star Wars, it changed the whole type of movies that you decided to love and watch the rest of your life. Yeah, the, the thing that makes it interesting for us, obviously, since we're, you know, only in our mid-30s, we don't know a world without Star Wars. And obviously, we don't know a world without Carrie Fisher. We don't know a world without Harrison Ford. So we're looking at it through a very different prism. You're like, oh, yeah, I know this name. I've seen this person in, like, all these different trailers and advertisements on TV. But to, to think about what the movie meant for them... And, and how it propelled them forward and what it did for George Lucas, which, again, by the time that both of us had seen it and really dove into it, was already a titan of a movie. And they were about to start the prequels up, at, uh, you know, at that point. 
Right. The lens that you and me experience this movie is very different than probably our parents or people from a generation before us, where this movie came to theaters and this was a juggernaut. George Lucas didn't know what he had. His friend Steven Spielberg said, you might have a hit on your hands, but they didn't know how big this would be. And as you said, George Lucas, who famously directed and, and wrote this film, you got stars that were not stars at the time. You got Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, who's a monster of a movie star. Right. One of the biggest. You got Carrie Fisher, the, the late, great Carrie Fisher, Alec Guinness, who was the only one previously before Star Wars who had a career. He actually was the one established actor in this cast. Right. And it's worth noting that talking about not knowing what they had, Alec Guinness, while he was describing it to any one of his friends and his agents and anyone he talked to about the movie, thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. He, he was just basically doing this as a paycheck, you know, and just for the sake of doing it. And he's like, this is a ridiculous premise. I have no idea what I'm doing. It sounds like it's an overwrought type of, type of like almost self-indulgent project about a, a space opera. And, and he didn't get it. And then it just took off. It really resonated with people more than I think even George Lucas would ever have imagined it could have. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the conversation with Alec Guinness and thinking the movie was, yeah, paycheck. It was a silly movie to him. It was a little ridiculous. And this has been done many times since then where actors have taken paychecks. This happened a lot in in the MCU right now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where a lot of well-known actors, Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo Weaving, these guys have taken on parts, Anthony Hopkins, but they kind of make a joke of it, don't realize how big and how important it is to people. And this movie has been, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Alec Guinness's part, is one of the most known, recognizable characters in Star Wars history, yet he thought this was a, a ridiculous movie. Right, and I think much to his chagrin, it became one of his iconic signature roles, which I think actually did irritate him throughout the remainder of his career and his life. But, you know, you hear about a lot of the the movies that we'll end up talking about later, and you alluded to the MCU. A lot of the actors on those sets would be like, we knew something was special, like we had something special. Like when the actors that were in Black Panther were talking about making the movie, they're like, we knew we had something special. And when you go through like the interviews that have been done retrospectively and recently, obviously with Carrie Fisher passing, when Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were all talking about what they were doing on set, they were talking, they didn't talk about like, we knew something was special. They're like, we knew we were having fun. We knew we were learning a lot from Alec Guinness, the way that he carried himself on set. And we knew that we were getting paid. So we were excited about it. And we thought it, we, we thought it was going to be f- good, but they didn't know that they had something great. It's, it, it's kind of a contrast to what we're seeing now with these type of juggernaut, you know, blockbusters. A lot of them can feel like, oh, we have something here, but they, it was very different for this project for sure. Yeah, the, the, the whole feel of Star Wars, this juggernaut, this titan of blockbusters, you call it, didn't exist. Jaws was really the first big blockbuster, and here, Star Wars, for the first two, would you consider summer or those big Hollywood-esque movies that you expect today, but this didn't exist prior to these movies. And I like that you brought up Alec Guinness's time on set because that was something that I always enjoyed hearing, him being the experienced one. They said that he was very focused on set, very prepared, very professional. So even though he was a paycheck, he did take his craft and his job very seriously. 
and even Harrison Ford, who I think since Star Wars has joked, he likes to kind of keep it in his rearview mirror. And yes, he right. knows it launched his career. But Harrison Ford is not the proudest of the Star Wars trilogy and his time with it. He'd rather keep that in the past than do more serious roles now. I feel like he's kind of learned what Guinness felt back then, and now he's the new Guinness, you know? Yeah, famously, I think Harrison Ford only agreed to come back into the you know conclusion of the Skywalker saga if they agreed they were going to kill off the character. <laughs> not to dive too much into the movie, you know, because we're going to be focusing on A New Hope, but his negotiations with trouble with negotiation is why Hansel ends up in the Carbonite. So he had a contentious relationship with Star Wars, even throughout the original trilogy. Definitely a hate love. Yeah. yeah, definitely a love hate. I think now with his career, he's had a phenomenal career, but being at the part of his career where he is now, I think that when he looks back on it, he looks back on it fondly, probably more so than when he was in the midst of it. Right. Well, as you said, this launched the career of Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, even James Earl Jones, the, the voice of Darth Vader. This really set him on the path in the career. He was still a relative unknown as far as recognition until this. You know, Mufasa and Lion King is not till many years later and much, much of his acting on screen. This was his big, big, most recognizable role, I'd say. Yeah, it's definitely a, a huge role for for James Earl Jones, and obviously we, we're going to connect with the, this type of a movie that you connect with emotionally, but what a voice, you know, for such a, a part that demands that type of authority, and you're you're not supposed to be fearful of him completely, but you're supposed to know he's in charge, and you can't come up with a better voice than James Earl Jones to have someone just be like, I'm in charge of all these situations at all times. No, you, you really can't. And I think we've spent a lot of time talking about the, the magic of this cast. And the cast is now instantly recognizable, the names and the, the people they portray. These names are now built into our society, our culture, the fabric of what we understand is Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca. These are all names that are just built into, uh, I would say, our, our culture and our society now. Yeah, they're they're definitely built into our our cultural DNA, built into our like pop culture vernacular. Even you know, at this point, I'd say kids of my my cousins who were super young, even before the new Star Wars movies had came out, they knew who you know Luke Skywalker was and Princess Leia was. So I think that really speaks to how big this movie was and the impact and why it still is being revered as one of these great movies. Now, normally, Mark, we'd go into discussing plot details. And I think this is one of those movies that I think everyone listening understands the plot. But what makes the plot special, I think, is what's, what's fun to talk about. Because this movie, the plot has such an imagination. And George Lucas and the world that's here it's created, this could have been a complete flop. There's been many movies just like this that have created expansive worlds before George Lucas's uh, success here and afterwards that have just been a complete mess. But somehow, yes, it's super, it's science fiction. It's a larger than life story, but it somehow feels grounded and somehow feels small in these planets, all these places that makes it feel real. Right. Before it became a trilogy, you just had the one movie and that's how they really made this is it's just, just like the tale. It's a coming of age tale. 
for Luke Skywalker. And if you strip away everything else, if you strip away that it's on Tatooine and they're going to all these different planets and they're traveling in space, it's really just a coming of age story. Yeah, I'm so glad you said this that. Young boy. This young boy, Luke Skywalker, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's you or me who are bored at home. They're stuck with their aunt and uncle. They're doing chores. And then all of a sudden, destiny swooped them off their feet and now they're on a magical adventure, this journey with the force and lightsabers and, and flying ships across space. And yeah, it's totally a space opera, but it's a fairy tale. It's a, it's a, it's a it's coming of age story. Yeah, it's a coming of age story. It's a really a story at its, at its core is about finding a power within yourself and also just kind of uh, escaping from your means. Like it's also thinking about, you know, when you're wishing for an adventure, do you know what that adventure entails? And are you going to be ready for the adventure when it comes to you and ready to pay the price that's necessary to dive into that type of the adventure? It's a steep price. And some people will say that maybe Luke wasn't ready. Some people complain that he's a little too whiny in the first movie. Some people don't necessarily love the character of Luke Skywalker, but at the end of the day, it's an iconic character. It's a legendary character. And you can criticize Mark Hamill's acting or his portrayal in the first movie. People say he does mature more in the second and third films from any acting and character, the way he portrays the part. But it is still this coming of age story of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I think the, the character portrayal there and like we've gone over a couple times is that you have a development, like even as people, we develop over time. So this entire story is, isn't taking place over a decade. This is taking place in a truncated amount of time. He's a young kid who's never left this one particular planet where you're talking about inter, you know, interstellar travel is possible. So that's like saying you never left your hometown. So are they going to be a little more whiny? They're going to be less knowledgeable about the world and maybe interacting with people that are more worldly? I think that's realistic. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. He's been sheltered. And when you can travel from planet and galaxy to galaxy, and he's been sitting in the sandy desert of a world, I can understand that. So, you know, this movie, May 1977, comes out. It's this blockbuster hit. People have not seen anything like it. Yes, the story, but there's so much more than the story. This movie has everything. And I think we have to talk about the visual effects of this movie because it won a ton of awards and Star Wars has always been known. Lucasfilm, which George Lucas helped create his production company, is very famous for its, its work in visual effects, digital work, everything that he's done on the Star Wars films. But it really started with this movie and some of the effects that he did. Yeah, some of the effects that he did obviously are very famously revered now. And you kind of touched on it there. It's worth noting that just as valuable as the Star Wars franchise, I think, for George Lucas and in his impact on the film industry would be, you know, uh, Lucasfilm, THX, Skywalker Sound, everything that they achieved both from an audio and visual perspective is incredible. Yeah, it's hard not to talk about the impact of Star Wars without talking about the impact it made on movie making at large. So the audio and the visual effects that Lucas was so, he was so groundbreaking in these effects. Right. And also it's, we always talk about the, the type of impact that someone has on filmmaking, but I think it's notable with George Lucas in particular, the impact that he had on the movie goer experience, 
because of everything that they did with sound in particular. What they did with engineering sound and, and how they optimized it for different theaters and home theaters is something that really has shaped the way that we experience movies ourselves as theater goers for decades now. And it's hard not to talk about the music of Star Wars when talking about the sound in the movie and the right. sound effects they use. The music of Star Wars is so memorable. It's probably one of the five to 10 most recognizable theme songs, I'd say, in, in our world, in, in, in the world we live in. Just from the opening crawl, as they call it. So Star Wars, even this first one, New Hope, has this crawl of setting you up for the movie you're about to see. And it's a very, again, unique way of storytelling to get people basically reading in a homework assignment before they start watching a movie. But I guess so they're not just thrown into it in this magical world, not knowing what's going on. But the music is playing along with it. And it's this, I have to say his name because just one mention of his name, John Williams, the composer. And you just think about all the brilliant work John Williams has done working with Spielberg and Lucas and this massive, massive career he has. But I'd say Star Wars is the biggest of them all. Yeah, John Williams is the legend of all legends when you're talking about composers for film scores. He had worked with Spielberg prior to this on Jaws, and that was a big one, obviously, also. But this is definitely his most well-known work would be Star Wars. And you're talking about a career that spanned generations. He's done Harry Potter. He's done Home Alone, which obviously is not on the same scale, but it's revered almost as much. You got Indiana Jones. He has done so many iconic themes. And this one is definitely his most recognizable. I think the Star Wars theme is, it's so funny. It kicks right in. It's instantly recognizable. But huge fans of Star Wars would also kind of roll into the theme, the 20th Century Fox fanfare rolling into the theme. Like that became part of it. it yeah, I think there's so it's many very things It's very ironic because 20th Century Fox was actually in a pretty bad place prior to Star Wars releasing. And it's funny that Star Wars essentially saved and reignited 20th Century Fox becoming a the movie company that they are. Right. And it's funny that, as you said, they kind of now are synonymous with the, with the music. Right. And to the point that with recent Star Wars movies, when that was taken out, there was outcry from fans. <laughs> that it, it became so synonymous with the Star Wars brand that not having the Fox fanfare leading into a John Williams you know, theme song for a Star Wars episode just felt wrong. Well, in their defense, it doesn't take much for outcry of fans when it comes to Star Wars. That is true. The internet is the internet and, and our world is the world that it is. But yeah, John Williams does such a phenomenal job with this film series and this film in particular that I would say this film more than others, and there's going to be a bias here since we're New Yorkers and it's famously used at Yankee games as well. But the intro theme and the closing theme for the movie, the throne room theme are iconic pieces of music that, it, it's actually, it, it transcends just cinema into just being fantastic pieces of music. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. you. You just hear these grand orchestral pieces that Williams wrote and you can just hear it, just the sound just fills you up. You, you brings you right back to Star Wars, sitting, watching any one of these films. And this one in particular, this is where it all started. This, this amazing amazing composure by Williams. Yeah, just just the best of the best. He's 
he's sought after by so many directors for so many different projects you know to this day for a reason the guy, the guy just puts you in into such a, a phenomenal state uh, just from hearing his music i, I can't i can't I, I can't overstate how influential his scores were for an entire generation of composers after this and how important his music was for this film i think more so than a lot of the other films we'll end up discussing these two are inextricably linked is the music of star wars with star wars absolutely and american film institute actually lists the star wars soundtrack from the 1977 film as the number one best film score of all time i think it's well earned i think it's definitely very much well earned we hit upon the plot which again was groundbreaking and tells now this grand story that's trilogy 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 but it started here you have the music which you said transcends everything the visual effects now this movie as we said was a juggernaut it made a killing at the box office and it was right off the bat it started off in limited release and before you knew it it beat jaws as the highest earning film in north america just after six months of being out so you're talking about Obviously, the money is very different than in 2020, but $220 million back then is almost a billion dollars today. Yeah, it was wildly successful early on, and obviously it, it has spawned one of the most successful film franchises of all time. It can't, it can't be overstated, again, how incredibly successful this was and how it really resonated with audiences immediately and has continued to do so so much so that we're we're trying to continue to expand the universe to find pieces of like different characters just different pieces of the universe to uncover even remotely connected to this world that's started in this film well absolutely it's funny you say that because as we're recording this weekly we're, we're seeing episodes of the mandalorian being put up on streaming services and it's a massive series and people are really into it. I think we've both said numerous times that we enjoy it and it's very well done. And I think people are looking for new corners and new errors and new timelines of the Star Wars world to be a part of and to know more about because starting from this movie, they created this entire universe that people just want to be a part of. Yeah, it's it's definitely something to talk about the staying power of star wars that you have this skywalker saga that starts here that spans nine different films but there's such a hunger for this world itself there that it transcends even the iconic character and family of the, the skywalkers and that people just want more stories from this this universe we'll talk about it at length i'm sure another time but not all star wars movies are created equal right <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely being kind about it. Not all of them were created equal, but I think it's also telling that after some of the movies that will be kind of say weren't equal to their predecessors, there still was a hunger for more content. Yes, no, it's true. We never got sick of it. You know, when something you love, you want more of it, good or bad. When there's something you enjoy, you want to see and breathe and and hear more about it. So, I don't think this is going away anytime soon. The Star Wars phenomenon. It has transcended it pop culture. We have Spaceballs, which is the, the famous spinoff, the, the Mel Brooks film, which was probably only, you know, decade and a half or so later. I forgot exactly what year Spaceballs came out. It 
took everything you knew about Star Wars and poked fun at it in a really good way. And Robot Chicken, which the, the cartoon has a lot of fun with playing up Star Wars, Simpsons, Family Guy. There's been a lot of iterations of Star Wars over the years. And I'm just briefly touching them on a few, but there's countless pop culture references. Right. That definitely also talks to the relevancy of it there and how it's remained a force is that when other shows and other movies are referencing something, they've referenced something that's still culturally relevant, right? Most of the time, you're not going to get overt uh, types of allusions and tributes, essentially, in both a visual and audio sense for a new project to something older, unless it's still relevant. So the reason why Star Wars always keeps coming up is because it, it's still revered. And I think also it, it talks to the impact on those particular content creators, those filmmakers, because it's something that they hold near and dear as well. Yeah, I, I think you have something there. It's that somehow there's that staying power, the relevancy, that's not easy to do. It's very easy to be forgotten because people are always looking for the next greatest, what's new, what's hot. And some of the movies we've talked about, even the first one, Shawshank Redemption, I would not say it's a movie that's very talked about or discussed often today in 2020, unless you're talking about 90s films or particular genre films or all-time great films. But Star Wars is relevant every day, everywhere you go when it comes to merchandising. It's everywhere, toys, TV shows, spinoffs, whether it's something on the internet, something in a store, Star Wars is everywhere you go. Right. It's it's inescapable for better or for worse. If you're asking me, I obviously say it's for the better. We can all use an escape. And if the escape can take us out of the world that we're in and universe we're in entirely, that's even better. I feel like it's important for us to mention some of the key and unforgettable moments of the original Star Wars A New Hope. And yes, this was episode one. Then it became episode four. We'll call it Star Wars A New Hope. But the memorable moments, I would say, is probably the first time you see a lightsaber is pretty memorable. So, you know, lightsabers we take for granted today, the effect and that they're basically been copied and imitated in every form of uh, entertainment. But this was a cool concept, some sort of beam sword that's of light. It's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely really cool and we're going to kind of circle back to the sound effects. The The sound of a lightsaber is as iconic as the, the saber itself there. I would almost say more so. I think if your eyes are closed, you hear that noise, you know, instantly. I'd agree with you. Yeah, I think, I yeah, that's definitely probably a good argument to make that the sound is even more iconic than the visual of the yeah. blue lightsaber and the red lightsaber for Darth Vader. With Darth Vader, absolutely. And seeing them clash, Obi-Wan and Darth, which is really cool for the first time in this movie. And there's just moment after moment, whether it's the Millennium Falcon that we're talking about here, if you're talking about Chewie just making, you know, talking Chewie language, doing yep. his roar. It's just all the little iconic moments. Who shot first? I was going to I was gonna be mentioning that one. <laughs> Who did shoot first? Han or Greedo? That's the, the old back and forth, every, every iteration of this movie. And I feel like the iterations of this movie is important to talk about because there's the original 1977 cut and then there is the, the special editions from 1997, which George Lucas said that his vision was finally fulfilled when he had the effects that caught up to what he wanted in his brain to do, but wasn't 
fully possible that, you know, 20 years earlier. So some fans refuse to watch special editions. They don't want to buy the DVDs or the Blu-rays of the special editions. They only watch the original. For me, I grew up more with the special editions. That's what I watched and it doesn't bother me. I don't, I respect anyone else's opinion, but that's, it doesn't bother me either way. Yeah, I've seen both versions of it there. I can understand there are a lot of purists that enjoy the 77 cut more than the 97. And I'm not going to really pick apart who's right or wrong. It's, it's a great movie, whether you're going with a special edition or if you're looking at 1977. The thing that I think is great is that aside from all of the, you know, strides that they made with these groundbreaking special effects they also used a ton of practical uh, practical effects when they first were filming this in 1977 if only for budgetary reasons this wasn't going to be the largest big budget type of film since george lucas then was not george lucas now so they had to use a lot of practical effects so when you're on tatooine and they're going to Mos Eisley and you have these colliders Gliders don't exist in real life, so how do you do it? You smear Vaseline at the bottom of the lens of the camera, and you want to have these massive scenes where you're, you know, you're destroying the Death Star. How do you do that? You create a scale model. So there, it's it's an incredible mix of practical effects and groundbreaking, you know, new techniques and, and special effects. There also, I think that's a great point because this movie was on a small budget. George Lucas was still a nobody at this point. He had released one film prior to this and it was not a huge success. And the practical effects, you have to get clever. You have to get smart when it comes to doing some of these things because you don't have an unlimited budget. You have probably people looking over your shoulder saying, how's the film progressing? We need to get it out because you got to make numbers. And I think, yeah, I think that's, it's, it speaks to, they said this is the most profitable film at that time ever made because on the size of the budget, based on how much profit and how much business it made at the box office, it paid off. They made that money back and trillions and trillions and trillions right. more. Right, yeah, it was, a, it was a gamble there, but it paid off big time. And again, the, the unspoken heroes, I think in a lot of these films that we're gonna end up talking about uh, are always the casting directors who locate these talent especially when you're talking about a film that has a more limited budget and you're going with young relatively unknown or unknown stars so for them to have found three stars like harrison ford mark hamill and carrie fisher you know you have to you have to also tip your hat to the casting as well yeah and it's not like alec guinness was the selling point of this movie bringing people in to rush the masses because Right. In he's, he's recognizable, but he was not the A-lister must-see in this movie. It was these three unknowns. It was the story. It was the word of mouth of this groundbreaking film. Yeah, uh, Alec Guinness is a, a fantastic actor. He's very well-respected. He's Sir Alec Guinness for a reason, for his contributions, you know, to the arts in general. But they're not certainly not picking his name out to try to put butts in the seats. I wanted to share a fun bit of trivia that I read here. Because George Lucas was not, he was not very confident in how successful Star Wars would be. He had his vision of the film. And after visiting the set of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was his buddy's film, Steven Spielberg, Lucas was sure that Close Encounters would be more successful than Star Wars. Spielberg disagreed and believed Star Wars would be the bigger hit. So Lucas proposed that they trade 2.5% of the profit on each other's films 
Spielberg took the trade, and to this day, he still receives 2.5% of the profits of the original Star Wars A New Hope. That is uh, a piece of trivia that I was unaware of, but you, again, have to hand it to Steven Spielberg for uh, seeing something that George Lucas didn't even realize he, uh, he had. Right? I thought that was fun. Back when this movie came out, Roger Ebert you know, wrote nice things about it. He's a famous film critic. He said, like Citizen Kane, like The Birth of a Nation, Star Wars was a technical watershed that influenced many of the movies that came after it. And the plot, the narrative was, was unique. And it began a whole new generation of special effects, high energy motion pictures. And it was one of the first films to link genres together to invent this new high con- concept genre for filmmakers, which like Jaws and some of the other films that followed this, got away from the personal smaller filmmaking like Taxi Driver and things like that and brought fast-paced, big-budget blockbusters for young audiences and families. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely hard to think about in that, in that same prism as 1977 because we live in an era where there's a lot of different films that mix the t- between different genres. They mix horror and comedy. They mix you know, science fiction and adventure. So it's something we're f- very familiar with as a concept, but like you know Roger Ebert was talking about this is the movie that made that possible you know you have an a, a large scale epic like lord of the rings it, it owes a lot of its bones to to star wars without star wars you don't get a lord of the rings there there are countless there. directors that said they were influenced by this so whether it's christopher nolan who said when making inception he looked back to star wars and you might not see immediately the comparisons but he said he was heavily influenced by George Lucas. James Cameron said he was heavily influenced by the Star Wars films. And as you just touched upon as well. Peter Jackson for- uh, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. He said was heavily, heavily influenced by Star Wars. So I think there's very few directors that are directing fiction and creating fairy tales or coming of age stories or something that is painting with a, with a broad stroke and creating something on a canvas that is new and original, Star Wars probably influenced it in some way. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Christopher Nolan with Inception. I was actually going to mention him earlier as being one of the disciples of the original type of Lucas method of using practical effects as much as possible and not steering away from utilizing, you know, the technology that's available, but using practical effects whenever possible and using the CGI that we have available now to augment it rather than it to, you know, supplant using practical effects entirely. That's something that he did, you know, a lot in Inception and in Interstellar. And in those interviews, he definitely threw a lot of that credit and the influence to George Lucas and to Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. I'm never against the use of CGI or digital effects if it can push things that maybe can't be done practically, or if it is easier in some ways. But practical effects when used properly can make something feel real. It can make it feel grounded. And sometimes it's just better in in certain situations using practical effects. I'm all for when I hear directors were able to go that route. And when you do see something in 4K or on a large screen and 
some digital effects just don't always hold up as well, while practical effects I find always do stand the test of time a little bit better. Yeah, the practical effects in this film definitely, I think, stand the test of time. They, some of them were cleaned up a little bit in the subsequent special editions, but those those scale model explosions for the Death Star still look and feel fantastic when I'm watching it now. And even I'm watching this movie now two decades after plus after when I first saw it, and it still it still feels and looks great to me. Now, Mark, I want to ask you just as a curiosity question. Where would you put New Hope in your Star Wars ranking? Would it make your top one, two, three? Where would it fit for you as far as your... I'm about to become very unpopular with some of the listeners. So Star Wars, A New Hope, I rank it probably higher than most. I would put it in probably the top three or four, although... I don't think that's crazy. A lot of people would kick it down a little bit farther, but the more controversial take would be that Obviously, Empire is one for me. That's not controversial, but I'm a big Rogue One guy. So okay. All right. I, I put Rogue One as number two, personally. How about uh, yourself? That's a more controversial opinion. I like it. Surprisingly enough, for me, A New Hope usually sits as my number one. I respect, oh, wow. I respect Empire Strikes Back, and I think it is beloved in the fans, and I hope one day you and me will also induct that into our Hall of Fame. But all the things that New Hope did, and it feels like a more full film. It's not part of a story. While to me, Empire always felt like part of a larger story. And I hate to take that away from what great filmmaking, what great storytelling Empire really is, because it, it does some really smaller, nicer things that New Hope doesn't do. But I just love New Hope for its cheesy, clean, happy ending. Everyone is happy, smiling, gets their award to the end, except for Chewbacca, who doesn't get his trophy. Oh, <laughs> I, I just thought about a moment from the last movie that just made me ball like a baby in the theater. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think I think there is something to, to saying that when this movie came out, and again, like we were going over before, there was no prospect of this being a, a franchise. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's conflicting stories that George Lucas had nine stories written, he had two stories written, he had four stories right. written, he had the trilogy as one movie at first, then he cut it down. There's so many conflicting stories and interviews that you read, and his story almost changed every year. Right, and that, most of the confusion actually comes from Lucas himself, uh, <laughs> who's told multiple different stories as we've gone on from year to year. But I think it's been generally accepted that he had at least, at the very least, a loose outline of where he wanted to go in this trilogy that he did and he had some background that predated it as well so that that much has been generally accepted but i think even if he had that outline in his mind he didn't know that he was going to get to make the other films so along with what you're saying this movie does feel very much not just part of the the larger story but it has its own through line of a story that goes and and completes it's you know, it's, it's journey by the end of the film. Like you, you end the film and you feel complete while when you hit the end of empire, you're like, okay, there has to be something else coming. Right. That that's my whole thing. And again, come at me people, if you have a problem with that, but yeah. So star Wars, new hope, you know, we're talking mid seventies here, blockbuster movie, change movie making and, and, and film going experiences as we know it today. We're talking 40 plus years later, still 
a massive, massive empire of empire of pun intended empire yeah. of, uh, of a brand. And now you can go see them in, in Disney as well. Cause they weren't in the seventies, but now they're owned by Disney. Yeah. And to talk about it, I mean, we have a dollar amount on how valuable it is. It's worth billions of dollars, you know, not just the films, but the merchandising theme parks that are associated with it. This, this film spawned a juggernaut of a franchise and that's all encompassing, not just film. We're talking about everything, merchandising, theme parks, anything you can think of, but yeah. Cause when you talk about hall of fame movies, not every hall of fame movie is as successful as star Wars. I'd say, maybe none of the movies we talk about after this will be as successful of a brand and as successful as, as far as a business as Star Wars has become. So I think this is going to be a very interesting comparison going forward because we had smaller movies we've talked about already. Right. And here we are talking about probably the biggest film brand of all time. Right. Uh, and it, it's easy for us to kind of talk about how big the brand is, but I don't want to take away from the movie itself there. The reason why A New Hope is still, you know, regularly shown on cable, why it's still in a lot of Star Wars fans rotations or just fans of movies in general are the iconic scenes on, and the performances. And again, it's a simple, much more simple coming of age story that's complete what from beginning to the end of the movie you don't have to watch nine movies to get that complete story there so you have the the garbage you know compactor scene you have so many iconic scenes and lines there's a countless this... the whole movie is quotable the entire movie is instantly quotable you hear a line from it and it brings you right back to the scene the outfits they're wearing the room they're in and I feel like we have not done a good job of talking about the amazing villain of this film. You have this epic villain that could potentially be the largest or most known villain in all of cinema, and that is Darth Vader. I know we've spoken about him briefly today, but what, just what a character, right? Right. An incredible character. And actually, as we're recording this, the, the actor that portrayed him physically uh david prowse rest in peace he he gave a phenomenal physical presence to such like a, a forbade uh, a foreboding character who just is a he's an overwhelming presence throughout the entire saga for you to have a character uh, yeah i think i think it's right that we've been uh you know slightly uh, remiss and not talking about his you know his impact as a character yeah just from to the beginning when he's lifting people up off the ground and choking people just with the force, which we at this point really know what the force is when you first watch these movies. But you see this, as you said, larger than life man with this voice, which is James Earl Jones again, you put it together with the size of this man, the voice and just his, his dark black outfit, shiny helmet, all that comes with it. It's a very impressive display and He's just straight up villainy. He's just straight bad. Yeah, he is. He is pure evil in its purest form. When we're talking about early on these films, like this, it's not. It's not going to be the nuanced type of backstory that you end up getting later. In this movie, he is just pure evil and just pure dumb. Like just a, you can feel like a, he's a dominant force, like a force of nature, and that's how he kind of he kind of feels throughout the entirety of the Skywalker saga, just like you have 
Darth Vader hanging over everyone at all times, even when he's been gone for, at that point within that universe, decades. And that really speaks to the power of that particular character. That's why, you know, on most of the lists that you'll see from critics, from, you know, audiences, he's listed among the top villains of all time. Totally. Yeah. It's hard to name two, three, or even four as recognizable and memorable villains as Darth Vader. And tying back to the music, there's also very few villains that get as memorable a theme song as Darth Vader does with the Imperial March. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that not start until Empire Strikes Back or is that in the original movie? No, it doesn't start until the second movie, but it is... It is another, I, I can't, again, oh, we, I could talk about John Williams for, you know, hours on end, but to have a villain that has as memorable a theme as the protagonists, that's something. It, it really is. And I feel like we've hit upon so many things that make this movie great. And we're not the first ones to talk about the greatness of Star Wars, nor will we be the last. This movie, as we said, yes, it's easy to get caught up in the Titan that it is, but this was a small movie that started shooting on Tatooine, which is this desert planet. Then you're off in spaceships, Millennium Falcon, you're up in, you know, Vader's big ship, and, you know, the, the, you're in the garbage compost, and all these different things going on from scene to scene, but it still feels like a, a small, intimate movie because of these characters, the scenes, the story, and it's hard not to be caught up in the fantasy and the, the, just the story of it all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely easy to get swept away in this type of movie, you know, where it, it feels like you're the, an underdog story. You know, you have the underdog story of Luke Skywalker, but the way that it's shot with the practical effects, it doesn't make you feel as far removed. The, the worlds that we now see are grand in there and it sometimes takes your breath away but sometimes it 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 will take you out of it and be like oh this is crazy this is something i think for a while when people were making movies about the future people wearing these high-tech clothes and everything was so fancy and clean and high-tech with technology everywhere this movie does the opposite of that it almost feels you know when we call this a galaxy far far away sometimes it feels like it's in the past because their clothes you know, Luke's clothes are very kind of ragged, kind of like cloth type. And even Leia's outfits that she's wearing, it's very simple. It's nothing too extravagant. It's not some big fancy dress like you see in the prequel trilogies and things. Right. Not there, I say prequel trilogy. But everything about the effects, the, 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 the settings, the locations, the costumes, there is sort of a real grimy, smaller feel to everything. Right. I think you're definitely onto something there, especially among the, the heroes of the film, Han Solo, you know, Luke and Leia. And even if you think about the Jedi in general, the uniform of the Jedi is it's a cloak, right? It's not it's not this you know massive type of metal suit of armor or anything along those lines that you're you're now seeing in a lot of different films it's not and different too heroes. different than seeing a wizard in a robe as well, you know? Right. Sometimes those that have power and magic don't, don't need to show off, you know, fancy, fancy clothes. Right. And I think that that's kind of tied to the lore of the Jedi that they then extrapolate on in the later films about how they're really, you know, the, the protectors of a, a very ancient type of society of protectors. And they very much stay in that type of a tradition. But I think that having that be their, their aesthetic and their, their uniform really helps in, in keeping 
keeping you in the world itself there yeah, and not pulling away from it. And I feel like one scene in particular, I know we bounced around, but one scene in particular I have to talk about is when Luke first meets Han and we're in the, the bar and it's the famous cantina, correct? Right, the cantina scene, yeah. And that scene, you got the music, you got all these strange looking characters. And I feel like this is the first time when you're watching this movie, you really feel like you are in a space opera. You feel like you're, you're not just hanging out with the uncle and the aunt on a farm. You're really, and you're not just hanging out with robots. There's all sorts of different crazy looking characters. Right, and it, there's a line that, that always, I think, uh, resonated with me that he says a little bit later when he's doing, Obi-Wan says to Luke when they're doing their training, he says, like, you're just taking your first step into a much larger world. That scene at Mos Eisley Spaceport in the Cantina really feels like the step that we take as an audience into that larger world. Because up until that point, you'd seen, you know, the sand people, you've seen some, you know, some some characters here and there, but you've, you've really been grounded in primarily people. People uh, and, to that point. And the two droids, and the droids. The two famous droids who right. we also haven't talked about. Again, if we talked about every inch of this movie, we'd be on for hours, but it's hard not to talk about 3PO, R2-D2, and they are probably as present in Star Wars at large as anyone, but in these movies specifically, in this movie specifically, A New Hope, they are, I think, as big a part as Luke, Han, and Leia. Yeah, the the performances also, and, and that's something that sometimes is lost there, is that there was a performance for R2-D2. So the performances by you know Anthony Daniels rightfully then become almost a... a uh, a figurehead and a spokesperson for the Star Wars films for decades, you know, still. It's one of his most revered roles, and it's something that he's really taken to heart, and I think he's really embraced the role of being the the eyes for the audience over the entire story of Star Wars. And then you have uh, Kenny Baker right. as R2-D2, who that's he's it's a, it's a tremendous part being r2d2 it's he does a lot with what he's got there right it's it's really telling that you have these interactions between characters where one of the characters you cannot understand him throughout the entirety but you still kind of understand them but somehow the noises and effects convey what they're trying to tell us as an audience that you almost by the end of these movies feel like you can speak their language Right, you feel like when when R two D two says something, you could be like, "Oh, he's being a little snarky here." <laughs> like he has a these these robots, these droids have character, they have personalities, and it also talks to the the fact that you have R two D two bouncing. Like he, there's there's an aspect of there's a physical performance to it. They're they're also unsung heroes as well. One hundred percent. Well. Mark, I feel like we've covered as many angles of A New Hope as we could in the time allowed. Is there anything that you feel we might have not fully touched upon that is necessary when talking about Star Wars A New Hope? We could talk about this movie for hours, and I'm still going to feel like we didn't give it the full attention that it needed. But it's it spawned one of the biggest blockbuster franchises of all time, one of the most valuable franchises of all time most influential franchises of all time and in and of itself it's just it's a great story it's a movie that you can just watch over and over and and just feel it makes you feel good it's yeah, everything you, you, the get movie that, going you get that you get that child you get that childhood sense of 
of awe and hope. And, right. And that's sort of part of the story. And I think a great story, which is, this is what's grounded in. It's a really good story. And that's what constantly pulls you in. And this movie is very rewatchable. I can, if you're a fan of Star Wars, which billions of people are, it's easy to watch this movie hundreds of times in your life and still pick up on new things, things that you might not have appreciated the first time around, scenes, dialogue that you have new appreciation for. And yes, every line of dialogue and every scene has been broken down and, and, and dissected by Star Wars and those that are obsessed fans. They just, this movie, you have to remember where it started. Yes, you might love Empire, but this movie started it all. And yes, it's my favorite probably of all of them, but it, it just really is great cinema at heart. Yeah, it's great cinema. It's great storytelling. And, you know, it's everything that a movie going experience is supposed to be. It, you know, it fills you with that sense of wonder, like Matt was just touching on. But, you know, it, it also fills you with hope. You want to go out of a, a theater feeling hopeful uh, and feel like you've, you've seen something and experienced something. And when you, you finish watching this movie, whether it's ranked number one, whether it's ranked number 10, even if you don't have it ranked among, you know, your, your personal top 10 or top 20, you definitely leave, you finish this movie think, thinking that you've experienced something. I think that's a great way to, for us to finish it off, Mark. Well, thank you so much. I know usually we do two movies, but being that Star Wars is as big as it is, we felt why not discuss this one movie in this episode? And we hope you guys are enjoying us so far. We're having a great time putting these out. So if you are new, thanks for coming on board now. If you are returning, thanks for coming back. Mark, uh, anything you want to plug? I'm still on Twitch there. If you guys like watching mediocre video game play, it's twitch.tv slash Ursus Fidelis. But, you know, thanks again for coming along on the ride with us here. Uh, we really appreciate you checking us out. If you have any feedback for us, definitely make sure you relay that over to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so please follow on Instagram. We're at Hall of Fame Pod. So you can find out about when new episodes are released. And if you want to reach out to us, please do. We'd love it. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.